0: Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D
1: and D? Down with D Yeah, you know me. Be down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and
0: D? Welcome to Down with D and D. I'm Sean Merwin, and today our guest host is someone whose rise in the D and D world could only be described as meteoric. Mr. James Hake, James, thanks for coming online to talk to us today. It's great to be here, Sean. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. The third time's a charm here, James. We're going to do this. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. So in addition to being the lead writer for D&D Beyond, you've also written on several Wizards of the Coast products, including Waterdeep Dragon Heist, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, and, and others. You also contributed to the Tal DeRay campaign setting from Green Ronin, which led you to also working on the Wizards of the Coast Publication Explorer's Guide to Wildmount*, brought to you by none other than Critical Role. So that's a lot of work done in a very condensed time span. (laughs) What keeps that creative spark burning in you? Oh my gosh, yeah.
1: I I really do have a lot of plates in the air whenever I stop and look back at it all. Um, It's... It's, uh, I started doing RPG work uh, when I was a, a full-time college student. I was a sophomore in college and I started uh, doing small press uh, D&D stuff right around the time the fifth edition SRD came out. And uh, at the the peak of it all, I was full-time in college, I was interning for Geek and & Sundry and I was, you know, uh, writing freelance for Cobalt Press or whomever else. And... Uh, Basically, I just got started doing that and I never really stopped. It's the only way I really know how to work like this anymore. Um, and that sort of nonstop, 100% full throttle creation all the time, uh, it really can lead to some terrible burnout. Uh, And I have found myself, you know, lying in bed in the morning, just like, oh my God, I've got the best job in the world. And I'm like, I just cannot bring myself to go to my keyboard. I'll just play Skyrim all day. Um, (laughs) And uh, that it's the pits being burned out like that sucks. So uh, the way I avoid that happening to me is that I I feed that creative spark, right? I, I consume uh, games, books, television, movies—things that are are creatively rich, and stuff that, like, when I see it or read it or play it, lights that spark again. It makes me say, "Okay, I want to do something that's that good." Right. Um, some people get intimidated by, uh, you know, the the work of people who are. Uh, Superior to them basically Like I I look at I I watched Knives Out by Ryan Johnson recently And I'm like that guy like his writing Is so tight but I'm not scared By it I'm like I want to write as good as ryan johnson wrote for knives out uh and that's that's what fuels me when i get going and then i yeah, and, and then i take a break you know <laughs> taking a yeah. break is so important that i i have to build it into the day otherwise i'll collapse
0: yeah well it's funny because you said you know oh, i'm just gonna lie in bed and play skyrim but but that is that is part of a process yes right? Th- that is that's one of those inputs that you need to to be able to percolate Mm-hmm. and and come up with not even come up with an idea but just let the subconscious mind do its work mm-hmm. while while your frontal lobe uh does other things so, so yep. i think that's you know i think that's great uh so i'm gonna i ask all my co-hosts this so i want to ask you uh, what's your history with indie? when did you start and why do you keep playing
1: I started playing D&D in high school. I think it was a freshman or a sophomore and I just played with the friends I had. We had a local game store that has since passed on and we just played in its basement and you know, bought soda out of its local vending machine. And uh, we did that for years and years and years until the store closed and we couldn't anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and around that time was when I graduated high school and went off to college and uh, found myself in the sort of situation where uh, I didn't have D&D playing friends anymore. I, I got into college uh, as a theater major down in Southern California. Uh, and so I was thinking, well, I'll find some some actor-type folks who will be really into the role-play-heavy sort of D&D that I love. Uh, and it didn't work. <laughs> um, but uh, what that eventually led me to doing was uh, writing all of my uh, D&D ideas that I didn't have an outlet for anymore. And as I did that and I got the creative wheels turning in my head i figured well i'll start looking for people who want stuff written because uh, yeah. this was again right around the time the fifth edition was coming out um and so we'll get into that story another time one thing led to another but uh now i i play D. you know in part because i write for D and because i publish dnd content uh and so you know you got to stay current and you have to keep the the creative wheels greased in that way but I also just like, I, I love playing. Uh, playing D&D for me is is a way for me to share the stories and art and music that I love, right? You know, uh, I love music from films and video games and stuff. And so if I can put that on the background or playing D&D because it evokes a certain emotion in me, that's a way for me to share stuff that uh, gets its hooks in me with all my friends um, and vice versa too. When my friends create characters and uh, tell me about storylines they want to explore with their characters, I get a window into the things that make them happy, into the things that you know create joy in their world, and I want to I want to tile those things together because that's you know it's just friendship to me is sharing all those things between each other.
0: Nice. When when you began playing mm. uh, back in high school, were you the DM, the player, or both? Um, I started as a player uh, because a friend of mine
1: had the third edition books and was the only person who knew how to play. And so mm-hmm. it was uh, it was them and something like five or six other people, myself included. And uh, then I got I got sick. I got some kind of flu or something. Or I got busy. I don't really remember. And that campaign kept playing for a while, uh, for a couple of weeks until it fizzled out. And then I came back with a wild campaign idea. And I was like, okay. I know what this D and D thing is now I'm ready to DM. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, uh, not counting that first sort of like learning experience. Uh, I've basically been like the DM of my friend group mm-hmm. for uh, as long as we've been playing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you prefer it or is it just something your brain says, this is what you need to do mm. and, 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 And do you get recharged when you are able to be a player?
1: That's a really good question. Um, It's something I I actually ask myself a lot because DMing definitely comes more naturally to me, I'd say. Uh, Just sort of the the freewheeling thinking about stories and worlds and stuff like that is what happens to me uh, when I'm just daydreaming. Uh, I don't think of character concepts while daydreaming nearly as much uh, as some people do, like i was talking to todd kenrick my boss over at dnd beyond and he uh it was telling me about how many characters he has saved uh back in the like character creator of dnd beyond right. and it's like this is a truly ridiculous amount of characters if i ever had this many characters i would think that uh like <laughs> something w- was wrong with me and there's nothing wrong with uh him yeah. it's just his his brain thinks about uh you know D in a way that's a little bit different from mine um you should see how many campaign ideas i have in D&D beyond for instance right <laughs>
0: yeah yeah well it's funny because you know you're at a convention and you're talking with people who play and some people are the let me tell you about my character people mm-hmm. right and some people are let me tell you about my world yeah people yeah and and, and then there are let me tell you about my house rules people mm. and depending on what they come at you with you can sort of suss out the type of player that they are right are they the person telling you about your character well they're the ones that want to be the players and do the cool things whereas let me tell you about my campaign you know those are the dms and let me tell you about my house rules those are the designers you know (laughs) i'd never thought about it that way that sounds absolutely right
1: yeah very nice yeah and and then the fourth type of person uh is do you want to listen to all of that or could you not not care a bit
0: Right. right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true too. That's true too. Yeah. And, you know, there are times when you know you're looking at your watch. You've got a panel to be at, and mm-hmm. you know, three minutes, and this person you <laughs> right. know, is fifteen minutes into the story about you know the the armor that their dragonborn wears, mm-hmm. and and you're just like, oh, that's great, but I really have to go. <laughs> yeah. But but
1: there are people out there who just soak that stuff up too, oh, yeah. and like it's wow, that's the most gratifying thing in the world to be able right. to share something that you love so so much, and then there's mm-hmm. someone who like gets deeply deeply invested in your story wow right. those people are heroes
0: yeah and and that's part of the right that's part of the process as as a designer i love to hear all of those stories because that's part of my process of soaking it up right mm. of re- recharging mm-hmm. taking in that information that i will at some point have to blend and then output uh onto a screen somewhere yeah i think we
1: may all be Uh, different flavors of, of those people, those people we've mentioned at different points in our creative process. Yeah,
0: sure. Yep. And uh, so I wanted to talk just a little bit about your involvement with critical role, Mm. because I know part of that story. And to me, it is a great story uh, about being in the right place at the right time, Yes. (laughs) but also making the most of those opportunities because people always ask, how do I get involved? Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's luck, but it's also making the most of that luck. Yeah. Right. And so could you talk about that?
1: Yeah. You know, there's, there's a pithy saying that, uh you can't control luck, but you can't control what you do with it. And uh, I, I don't think I ever had that saying active in my head when this was happening. I was just kind of uh, trying to do my best in the situation I was in. But if you find yourself in a situation like this, keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I said a little while ago that I was interning for Geek & Sundry in college, and that started because I was ignoring my theater history class and being on Twitter. <laughs> um, and I saw, uh, I saw that Geek & Sundry had posted a call for interns. They just tweeted it out, email us at email address. And uh, I've realized that's kind of a, a strange and rare occurrence, um, <laughs> that businesses do not usually do this. Um, but. I followed through, and uh, by this point, I had already been doing some D&D stuff. I'd been editor for N-World's Insider Zine uh, for a while and a a handful of other small things, and so I had something of a uh, uh, D&D-focused resume already, and so I applied for this editorial internship at Geek & Sundry, and uh, they said, we'd love to have you, and I was shocked. and I didn't know why, because I basically had no experience writing web articles or anything like that. Um, but nevertheless, come January, come the start of the next semester, I ratcheted down my credits to as few credits as possible to remain full time. And I, uh, took a 90 minute train plus walk from Orange, California to Burbank, California, uh, three days a week, which eventually became five days a week once classes were over in the summer. And, uh, I worked for them writing D and D focused gaming articles. And I I realized now they were just looking for someone who knew the first thing about D and D and could write about it in a, in a coherent manner because this, this little show called critical role had just started, uh, there. Um, and, uh, they were trying to really focus on getting people, you know, interested in D and D interested in critical role, Where is the synergy there, um, and so, yeah, I just started writing about RPGs and I was basically doing much of what I was doing, what I'm doing now, except uh, uh, in an in office instead of at my home desk. Mm-hmm. And while I was in the office, I, I met Matt Mercer, who uh, at that point, I didn't even really know through Critical Role in any way. I knew of him through his video game and anime voice work. Um, so I, 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 knew, I knew his name and he seemed like a a cool guy and I was happy to happy to meet him and we we clicked over talking about D&D and talking about the critical role campaign a little bit uh he, Matt's not the kind of guy to say, let me tell you about my campaign. you know. <laughs> and right. at that point, I was not in the space to be, a, I'd love to listen to you about your campaign sort of guy either. So I, I'm glad we didn't uh, get on that dead end of a topic. But right. we were just talking about the game and where it could go from there. And you know, we passed each other in the hallways every now and then until something happened. And that thing was the... Tal'Dorei campaign setting uh, which was published by Green Ronin um, what Matthew Mercer wanted to do was he wanted to work on it with people he knew and people he knew were good writers and worked well with D&D and that he he had first hand experience with in that capacity mm-hmm. um, Green Ronin has some incredible writers who work for them but uh, uh, Matt is very, Matt's very careful about who he Shares his creative baby with, and I I respect that a great deal. Um, and he really wanted to make sure that the people who handled it were people that uh, he knew would he 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 knew that he and they saw eye to eye. So he talked to me, and he talked to a handful of other fantastic people, either in his professional sphere or at Geek and Sundry. And over the next couple of months, we made that book, mm-hmm. and it was just one weird coincidence uh, after another that I made the most of right i started working for a dnd third-party publisher zine and that got me a resume experience with geek and sundry and then i met matt mercer and then we happened to talk about dnd over lunch and then this and that and this and that and uh i i just did my best to make the most of everything
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and make the most of it you have because you know, since then you, uh, you know, you've gone on to work on wizards, hard covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're the lead writer for, uh, DD beyond put, putting up some great articles. And that will lead us into our main topic in just a moment. But I want to ask one last question. Did you ever think that you would be able to write for a living or is this just a magnificent dream or, you know, sometimes a nightmare. as we <laughs> come, come to find out. Right. Um, being able to be full-time
1: employed, writing for a living, is a wondrous dream. There are, are a lot of people uh, who freelance it. You're freelancing right now, Sean, um, yes. and freelancing is wonderful uh, in its own ways and nightmarish in its other ways. Um, and I've I've been I've been in that position, um, but it's it's just really humbling to me knowing that how lucky I am to have a job with D and D Beyond that gives me the opportunity and the stability to write full time and also to freelance if something wonderful with Wizards comes up or with Critical Role or something like that. Um, Because when I was freelancing, when I was a freelance writer, um, my fiance Hannah was working full time at a, uh, as an IT person, or not an IT person, sorry. Uh, She was working full time as a computer software programmer uh, at a company here in Seattle. And because of that, I was free to freelance. And now that I'm working full time, that gives me the ability to support her now that she's a freelance D&D editor herself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's all about give and take. And I feel really lucky.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's great to be able to, you know, growing up, I was just like, I would love to do this full time, but this mm-hmm. was first edition days where there was no, no mm-hmm. such thing as, you know, open gaming licenses and stuff. So, right. You know. I'm living my childhood dream at a much older age, so <laughs> I, uh, I'm enjoying that. Yeah. But both of us were able to c- come into our current situations because at once we were new players, Yes, and we were able to be introduced one way or another to this game. Now, you've been writing a series of articles on D&D Beyond about new players and new DMs. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of this recording, there are seven articles in the series, and you've covered Topics such as finding a group, choosing your first adventure, making your first character, and so on mm-hmm. now, the last one you've written was playing online, yes, and of course that is probably a very timely uh release based on our current pandemic situation mm-hmm. uh, so could you just talk about getting into you know why why this series of articles what' uh you know what was your mindset? and how you've gone about doing so
1: absolutely um
0: publishing an article
1: about how to play online was absolutely a a timely and intentional decision but uh starting the new player's guide series on DD beyond was a, a very strange turn of fortune we started it about two or three months ago now probably with the new year um and it has a a very large sort of backlog of information because a lot of people right now they're locked in their houses and uh starting to play online with friends looking for some new thing to uh spend the time of day while they're locked down um there's a there's a wealth of information for these uh all of these new Mm -hmm. players that are playing right now yeah um and by the time this podcast actually goes live it's not live right now as we're talking but when the internet hears it. Um, there will be a brand new, the best way to start using D&D Beyond page that basically grabs all of the stuff uh, that's most important, I think, that I've written over the past two years for D&D Beyond, from the new player's guide to the Class 101 series to all sorts of DMing tips articles uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, just basic sort of mechanical stuff. How do you make a character using the D&D Beyond software um, that really brings uh, it, it's almost like a, a main page, right? It's mm-hmm. something that if you have a group who wants to play D D right now today, and, uh, if even one player says, I have no idea how to do this, I need an explanation and no one else feels up to, uh, giving them that in-depth explanation. They're just like, okay, here, take this page, look at all the things that you think uh, are interesting or important because it, you know all this information is important and interesting in its own way. But everyone has their own needs. Um, sure. That gets that gets someone from zero to I'm ready to play my first character just like that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. I mean, just as a D and D fan, D and D Beyond is a tremendous tool. I I have, I have gushed on on the show repeatedly about how great D&D Beyond is. I often have 12 tabs open and 11 of them you know, are D&D Beyond for different work I've been doing. But you know, like you say, for a new player, the information that can be held within a website like that with not just the tools but all of the articles uh, is, is a wealth of information that, that can change the way that the game is taught. You're too kind. I appreciate it. Well, I I appreciate it just as much. Now, I'm going to jump around here a little bit because you were talking about a player knowing, you know, reading things and knowing what they like. How important do you think it is for players to um, self-identify as a player type and allow that to help DMs make their experience a little better during play? A lot of
1: ink has been spilled about player types, and there's even a a brief discussion about it in the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide. And basically what that is is you can kind of break down all the players who play Dungeons & Dragons into some archetypes, whether they're a thespian who likes to role-play and act and talk in character, or maybe you're a wargamer who likes to uh, play tactical combat and think about their strategic elements of D&D or... You know, maybe you're a, a wallflower who's just kind of there because they like being with their friends and it's something to do and they don't want to raise their voice that much. And there's all sorts of types that you can get into. And many people have categorized it uh into it's it's almost like a uh character classes for players in right. its own way. Um and I, I, I go back and forth on this. Um I think when I when I knew nothing about D D learning about player types was kind of a revelation to me. It was like, oh my God, this makes perfect sense now. All of my friends have some of these traits. Now I kind of have a way of, of managing those traits and giving everyone a little bit of what they want. Uh, I think much like, hmm, I was about to talk about like much like alignment, but I'm not even sure I want to open up that worms. <laughs> oh no, uh,
0: anything but alignment. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So much to say, uh, player types, I think, are a very useful tool uh, to help uh, get your mind around a more complex topic. Mm-hmm. Um, because the more complex topic is, uh, what do you like? And it, it sounds simple, but uh, trying to describe what you like is a very complex thing indeed. Um, I, I, for instance, uh, I can only explain it in regards to myself and my own experiences. I love tactical combat. I play tactical uh, video games like Fire Emblem and stuff like that, and that really makes me excited as a game player. Uh, But I wouldn't call myself a war game type player. Um, I also love to play act and role play and all of that stuff. You know, I, I studied theater in college. <laughs> I, 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 that stuff is baked into my DNA practically, but I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a thespian type player either. My ideal D and D game is one that blends that sort of highly strategic combat and emotional choice driven storytelling. Into one sort of unified thing, and just trying to box me into one category, one stereotype or another, uh, does me a disservice as a player. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, uh, it can be a useful tool if you're a DM who doesn't have a lot of player experience. If you know, if a DM wanted to look at me and say uh, that James Hake is a fifty percent wargamer, fifty percent thespian, that would be wrong, but it wouldn't mm-hmm. be completely wrong either. It right. would be, it would be a useful starting point. Right.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's just sometimes it's hard as a new DM dealing with new players if you're not aware of those player types Mm. and the players aren't aware of their own tendencies and can't answer that what do you like question. You know, I've always. It's, you almost have to be a Sherlock Holmes type as the DM <laughs> yes. to look at someone's outfit and say, well, you know, they've got crumbs on their lapel. <laughs> <laughs> so therefore, you know, and, and then, then you can start to uh, start to suss out what how you want to present the game. Mm. Right? Oh, Do you want to present it as a tactical game to start with mm. to hook those types of players? Do you want to start it as a more storytelling role-playing game to hook those kinds of players know. So, so it's, you, you kind of have to know what you don't know before you can use what you know.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh,
0: there's, there's one thing I
1: should have mentioned that I didn't, and uh, simplified archetypal player types is really, really useful uh, in a game scenario where you're playing for the first time with strangers. Mm-hmm. And whether or not that's you're starting a new D&D group or you've just gone to a new Adventures League table at a convention, um, being able to get a quick but... Possibly somewhat inaccurate grasp on what a person likes can be incredibly useful. And obviously, if you're playing with a group long term, it would be better to get a nuanced and deep uh, view so you can tailor your campaign and make everything as fun as it possibly could be. But in that pick up and play scenario, uh, archetypes, I think, are good enough.
0: Mm-hmm. True, and and you there are tools to really quickly go through if you. Often in a game, you will have the characters, especially if it's the beginning of a game or a new new group, introduce your character. Mm. And if you say introduce your character, listen to what they describe. Right? If they describe the battle song of their dwarven clan in great detail, you probably have a sort of role player backstory thespian type. Whereas if they describe how much damage they can do with their axe, uh, you might have you know a a war gamey uh, power gamer sort of type. Mm-hmm. So you know, just those those little clues can at least point you in in a direction uh, for running your game. Absolutely. Yep. So if I am a brand new player, what is the biggest challenge for me to overcome when when starting to play? Oh my gosh! In your, in your experience, <laughs> that's
1: that's a hard question uh, because it, there's such a, a breadth of new information that one comes into. Um, personally, the hardest thing coming into D&D when I came into it in high school was uh, the fact that there was no computer to know the rules for me, and that uh, play often found itself uh, halted momentarily to check on a rule. And, you know, graciously, we we had friends who uh, either had played for a little while so they had a solid grasp of the rules or as I continue to play someone who got incredibly invested in the rules of d and basically memorized the entire player's handbook and dungeon master's guide um, but in in lacking uh, a person like that if you've got a group that's entirely new or uh, something like that then that, to me, was the hardest part. Having a good way to search for information becomes uh the most valuable tool there mm-hmm. uh, A good index, having you know the index of the player's handbook sort of filled with tabs is good or uh having a search function whether you use d and d beyond or roll twenty or whatever your digital d and d uh tool of choice is um so from personal experience, that's my hardest bit. But there are all sorts of things. It, uh, my experiences that led me to playing D&D are one thing. I played a lot of video games. I was already familiar with the fantasy genre. I'd read a lot of, you know, Tolkien and so on and so forth. But if you're if you're playing D&D and you've never read The Hobbit or you've never played uh, Final Fantasy or Legend of Zelda or something like that, then there are a lot of just sort of genre tropes that aren't... Uh, immediately visible to you. And then uh, maybe the most important thing to you is uh, going and reading some books, looking at the inspirational reading appendices of the Dungeon Master's Mm -hmm. Guide, uh, just so that you have, or is it Player's Handbook? Uh, Regardless, just so that you have an idea of uh, what kind of stories D&D is really equipped to tell and what tools, narratively speaking, you have in your tool belt uh how about you sean uh what what was the hardest part for you when you started playing d and d
0: oh boy that's uh <laughs> yeah yeah you want to talk about that having computers around right uh, yeah i mean the the hardest thing for me was the the people who I started playing with were not teachers per se. Mm. they, I, the first time I played, it was because they didn't have enough players and it was a friend's older brother. Uh, And so it was just like, here, roll this die. And I'd be like, well, what am I doing? Don't ask, just roll, you know, that sort uh, of thing. So, so having, having someone there to patiently walk you through things and, and like, and like, it almost goes back to the player type thing, right? Taking, having the empathy to understand the needs of the player and then give them that to help them along the way, I think mm-hmm. is just as a DM, that's the most important thing. Or as a player, that's the most important thing to have in a DM or in, in a teacher. Um, and, you know, your, your, your talk of not having the books or, you know, not having that the archetypes down. So you understand the kinds of stories that you can tell, but, mm-hmm. uh, not having things like critical role or act Inc or, you know, Adventure Zone or all those podcasts and streams Mm -hmm. that can now teach people. The basics is so valuable to have uh, those things that, you know, it's, it's so much easier now to get into a game than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you can talk about online play and you can talk about all of those things that, that make it easier too. But yeah. uh yeah it's just having having the people around to support you yeah is is the most important thing
1: you know um you just awakened something in the back of my memory, and it's that i had when I was in high school I had uh maybe one or two people who I could really talk about d and d with even counting my gaming group like there were people mm-hmm. in my gaming group who uh just were not the type of people that I could have a conversation with D&D about because it's not that they didn't care about the game, but it's, uh, it didn't live in their brain. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had the guy who introduced me to D&D, who's still a great friend of mine now. And uh, we would just talk during band class or at lunch or you know when we were backstage or whatever, uh, thinking about story ideas and like talking about the rules and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All of those things were stuff we talked about. And one thing that really took that understanding that we both had to another level was watching one of the very first live play experiences. And it was this, uh, it's still on YouTube now, but I don't think anyone really knows about it these days. And it's uh, a game that Chris Perkins ran with fourth edition rules for the robot chicken writers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And that game was incredibly good, even though we were playing third edition even though fourth edition was the game to play just because that's the the books those were the books that my friend owned sure. i didn't know what edition wars were in high school <laughs> um and so even though the rule set was different we got to see a different kind of D being played one one that really uh one that really knew what like the the right way to play D D was cause you know, Chris Perkins is Chris Perkins. He's kind of, he's right. kind of perfect uh, yes. in his way. Um, and so that was wild, but not only that, it was like an hour, hour and a half long edited video and it was all mm. broken up into parts on YouTube. Uh, but in addition to the actual play, there was a second side, which was Chris's DM commentary the entire time. Like a, like a director's commentary on a, you know, on a, on a film. And so I got to hear what Chris was thinking or what, you know, he was retroactively thinking every single step of the way while he was DMing. And that was like, was like, I had just opened my third eye all of a sudden I could see into the dimension of good DMing
0: and (laughs) suddenly uh, it changed everything. Right. And, and that's, that's kind of like you, like, uh, like I said, that's kind of the, the empathetic teacher, right? Mm -hmm. Only it's not, Chris sitting down and talking to you directly, but you're still seeing behind the scenes about how an expert at his craft does his job. Yeah. And, and so that can open your eyes to, to all sorts of things, whether it's DMing, playing writing, and it's such a great tool to be able to, to see that sort of thing. Yeah. Now I have one question that has been plaguing me forever. (laughs) I'm going to ask you. So you have brand new players. Give them pre-gens or do a character creation? Ooh. Discuss. <laughs> there, there is no right answer. Right. But uh, I just like, this is one of my topics I love to talk about with new DMs. So I, I started
1: a number of D&D groups uh, in college over the years, and many of them uh, didn't last uh, just because it didn't click with the people who I was playing with. The game didn't click. Um, or... Maybe my game didn't click right. The personalities weren't right. But all of those games I played, uh, I had them create their own characters for the very first session. And of those five or six samples, uh, only one of them survived. And that one game that we played was awesome. Uh, And next time I'm down in California, I'll continue playing it. (laughs) But uh, I get the feeling that having... First-time players. Now, we're talking about brand new, never played before, barely knows D&D players. Not people who've Mm -hmm. played once or twice, but haven't had a good campaign yet. Brand new infant, baby's first D&D gamers. And Mm -hmm. I truly, truly believe that playing, or or I I truly believe that having them make their first characters before the first session of their first game was a disastrous idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Because character creation while it's fun and it's very good fun to have by yourself i don't think it's the best part of dnd uh mm-hmm. the best part of dnd is playing with friends and uh being stupid and doing fun stuff doing mm-hmm. wild ass stuff mm-hmm. uh and if you're you know paging through the player's handbook especially if you have like one player's handbook and you have four or five players they're all kind of passing it back and forth uh that's it's, it's a challenge, you know, four people are always doing nothing or, you know, maybe they're thinking about their character's name, but mostly they're just kind of chatting and waiting for the player's handbook to get back to them again. Uh, It's, it's a rough start. And so just having a couple pages of pregens to hand out and say, here are your stats, think of your name, maybe think of a, a cool personality quirk and basically just kind of play yourself and be your own chaotic gremlin self Mm -hmm. in a fantasy world for a couple hours with me. And then if you had a good time, maybe we can think about uh, some epic character backstories. That seems like the right way. Just throw them into the action and, and see what fun comes out of it.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's very keen a very keen observation. And I think there's also a risk when you create pre-gen or when you create new characters that the opposite may be true in that the character creation is so fun hmm. right people get so into it and they they love this character that the game itself becomes something less ah. right I, i've 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 had that problem with other games as well where take something like fate where the where you're creating characters that all have connections to each other and the story and the hmm. game itself it revolves around that the character creation sometimes becomes more fun than the game and and I think sometimes with a certain type of player, that might even be a risk huh. of of the game the game not meeting their expectations based on the fun they had or the mm. the detailed imagination that they used uh, creating the character
1: that seems like a particular problem with uh the genre the genre savvy. Uh, player that we talked about earlier and that you know they know all the fantasy stories and archetypes and they and they want to do that but too much of the work happens in their heads alone before the game is even begun right yeah I, I had never considered that that's a really interesting insight
0: mm-hmm. hmm. and and uh yeah you know, with pre-gens you have a little bit more control I think of the of the situation that that you're putting the characters into Mm. so rather than having the players searching for things to do which sometimes can be overwhelming to new players um, you're limiting the scope of their choices uh, in a way that helps them focus on cool things that are going to happen in the game because you know that this character has magic missile Mm. and that this combat is coming in your game where magic missile is going to be the perfect answer so you can kind of set up that experience yeah. ahead of time. And you
1: know, this got me onto thinking about something else So I'm gonna go off on a bit of a tangent while we have time. Um, and it's, as a DM, because I'm always thinking about how to DM better. Um, as a DM, when you're starting a new campaign, it can be very tempting to think about all the DMing advice that you have read in the past that, it, that warns you against railroading and think mm-hmm. I will give my players an incredibly choice-driven open-world sandbox from session one, and they will be able to uh, explore to their heart's content. And then you start the game, and no one does anything, and they kind of timidly prod at uh, things, waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's flummoxed. No one has a good time. Everyone goes away feeling, was that D&D? Because I, I didn't like that very much. Right. <laughs> um, and it can actually be a tremendous boon, especially with first time players. If you, as a dungeon master, start your campaign in a somewhat cinematic way. Um, if you have a moment that uh, kicks off the campaign with a bang that gives players an immediate threat to respond to, or even not an immediate threat per se, but just an immediate call to action, then they can uh, just dive into it, make decisions in the moment, because they're they're still making choices, right? Uh, unless you completely suck the opportunity for, for choice out of the game, um, it, it, it's not a problem. Uh, for Let me give an example. Uh, as long as we're talking about Skyrim, Skyrim has uh, an opening uh, that's a mixed bag to me. Mm-hmm. It starts with a slow... Uh, cart ride where you listen to two plot important NPCs talk about geopolitics for a bit, which is cool in concept, but lacking in execution. And then you make your character and then a dragon attacks you have to escape the dragon. And then you make a somewhat arbitrary choice at the end for which faction you want to join. Um, and it's almost awesome, right? A dragon attacking a town out of the blue is such an incredible start to a campaign because immediately there's danger. Immediately there's this, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle the situation? Um, but then in Skyrim, you're on sort of a, a set track. There's only one way to escape the dragon. You go up the tower, you jump into the inn and you run around, you avoid the dragon. And that's, that's kind of it, which feels like a railroad because it is, There's only one correct option. Uh, everything else just gets you torched. Um and then you make your way to a choice at the end where you choose the Imperial guy or the Stormcloak guy. And the choice is mildly meaningful, at least it's a choice. Mm-hmm. Um if but if I were running that in D, I would start the characters, you know, give them their pregens, say, You're imprisoned in the Imperial prison at Helgen. And you're about to be executed, and they're like, "Oh no! How do we get out of this?" And then a dragon shows up. Boom! There's a dragon. Mm-hmm. Everything's in chaos. All the gates have been blown open. Uh, imperials and prisoners are running everywhere. Uh, here are like you know three landmarks in the burning prison. What do mm-hmm. you do? That's right. that's a choice-driven opening to a D and D campaign that still starts with a strong call to action that gets people wanting to do stuff.
0: Yeah, and if you hand them a pre-gen. With a couple of traits, uh, f- flaws, mm. personality traits, mm-hmm. um, then you are actually you you've hooked the people that they are there for the cinema. Mm-hmm. Now you've given the actors some cues to play on, mm-hmm. and so you know you're co- kind of a coward. So you're also giving them direction for the choice they're going to make. Where you could grab a sword and run at the dragon, mm-hmm. uh, but hey, my character says that she's a coward. So I am going to look for a place to hide. Yes. So you're, again, you're giving choices, (laughs) but you're also, with those pre-gens, you're also directing a bit Mm -hmm. how this movie is going to play out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if you find yourself suddenly not a fan of those character traits that are printed on your character sheet, awesome. Mm -hmm. Scribble them out and write something else in.
0: Exactly, exactly. That can change over time just as easily as anything else. Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to mention on this topic uh, or any topic D D related? Hmm. I, you know, I, I could
1: talk about D and D for hours, but I don't want to start a whole new topic <laughs> while we're <laughs> while we're well,
0: wrapping up the show. We'll have to. Uh, we'll have to come back for part two sometime. Yeah, I always love talking with you, Sean. Let's do this again. Uh- We certainly will. And I want to thank all our listeners out there for their support. Um, If you want to help out the show, you can go to patreon.com slash MMP. Uh, Even for just a dollar a month, it helps with our hosting costs, and we truly do appreciate that. Uh, Help us out by uh, talking about us on social media out there. If you can't support us monetarily, we appreciate that as well. James, uh, where can people find you on the Internet? You can find me on the Internet primarily
1: on Twitter at James J. Hake. If you have trouble spelling my last name, it's spelled out there in text for you. Um, and you can also find me at D&D Beyond. Uh, the lion's share of the articles there on D&D Beyond are written by me. Some are written by Sean. Some are written by other <laughs>
0: fine people. <laughs> um, and I would say those are the two best places to find me. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can talk to me on the Misdirected Mark forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. Down with D&D is a misdirected mark production the media arm of encoded designs Say hey James uh, what are we going to do now Sean we are going to tell some stories and kill some monsters Sweet You down with D&D Yeah you know me
1: You down with D&D Yeah you know me You down with D&D Yeah you know me You down with D&D this party. You're down with D&D Yeah you know me down yeah, You know me. down with D&D Yeah you know me I'm down with D&D Yeah you know me we down with D M.